Welcome to Bird Camp Podcast. This is a show dedicated to the pursuit and promotion of upland birds, specifically the rough grouse. So if you like sitting around a campfire with your favorite bird dog and two brothers from Michigan who love talking about upland hunting, this podcast is for you. So let's put another log on the fire and start the show. This is Bird Camp. Season 2 of Bird Camp. This is episode 10, season 2, 2021. Recorded Wednesday, January 6th. On today's episode, we have our ballistic experts, Todd Fox. An additional guest today, we'd like to welcome Scott Dusang. He is a fellow friend, co-worker, and hunter. Sit back, let's put another log on a fire. Welcome to season two of Bird Camp. Let's get it on. All right, welcome to Bird Camp. This is episode 10, start of our 2021 season. I'm Matt Thorne. My brother, Kevin Thorne, is here with me in studio. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing well. How are you, brother? Good. You'd like to introduce our first guest? Our first guest is our first return guest, I guess. And that would be Todd Fox uh, coming in to talk to us about ballistics and conservation with his long experience in those fields. And welcome to the Covey. Welcome back in, Todd. Thank you, Brother Thorne. I appreciate that. How are you guys this morning? We're we're doing good. Good. Did you hear the... uh, the number nine episode we told we told the falling tree episode if you didn't hook into it yeah and that was quite a big story because uh, it was a big story when we were up there and i do remember that uh i'm, I'm just thankful the good lord above uh allowed us to pass through that trail before the before the good lord took that tree's life because yeah. that was a big tree like christmas miracle what was do you know yes, what type was. of tree it was was it a white pine uh, it was a white pine yeah white pine well the most amazing thing is we go out there the next morning it's gone it's like who, who's out here in the middle of the night cutting a tree up? <laughs> That's crazy. Somebody's burning wood. Uh, yeah, resourceful folks up there in that in God's country. <laughs> That's right. Well, we got a couple things to talk to you about today, Todd, and uh, we won't take a lot of your time. But the first thing is a new issue that came up that I just uh, Matt indicated to me yesterday, and I've been looking at it. Um, that's the pheasant stamp in Michigan. The second one's on ballistics and the, the shortages that we are seeing out there in different bits and parts and how it'll affect the bird hunters uh, going forward if there's going to be a shortage. For me, I shoot like twice a year, so I'm good, but other people not so much. But, and I miss too. But I so, was going to say, I might add that you, uh, you can, you're an ammo conservationist. Yeah, I still have ammo from the canoe incident. Oh my gosh, you need to throw that out. So uh, let's let's kick her off and uh, welcome in Todd. And uh, we just came aware, and it was signed on December thirty first, twenty twenty, that the governor and the state legislature has approved a twenty five dollar stamp for pheasant hunting in Michigan. How aware are you of this, Todd? So uh, Amy Trotter, who's the executive director of, of Michigan United Conservation Clubs, um, she and 
the, those folks were instrumental in trying to get the funding approved for this. Uh, Representative Gary Howell out of uh, North Branch came forward with this House bill, uh, basically saying, hey, we need to do something to protect uh, the natural resources in Michigan. Uh, this year, uh, maybe some of you, your, your listeners will remember, uh, this was supposed to be the second year that the uh, Michigan planting of pheasants, much like South Dakota and North Dakota do, was to take place. But due to the whole COVID thing, um, those funds were then uh, reallocated to other COVID-related um, uh, funding needs. So that fund became completely deplete, uh, de depleted. And so what MUCC and other conservation groups like Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited, uh, were trying to do is they're trying to make sure that we can bolster American uh, support in Michigan for hunters, for uh, firearms enthusiasts, for people that just want to be out in nature. And so this House Bill 4313 came forth, and it was passed. Um, yes, it's a, it is a, it is a tax to raise funds for habitat uh, enhancement, and I mean birds, birds only. Um, it would have been nice to have seen um, habitat funding stay in the bill, but somehow it was negotiated out. So there's some. Well, can, you know, can, I stop, not, can I stop you right sure. there? Sure. Originally, 25% of the stamp funds was going to be used for habitat and 75% for bird purchase and release. Well, the habitat funding went away. Right. So where does that money go? The article I, I'm looking at, the two or three I've read this morning, says it just goes back into the general fund, and correct me if I'm wrong, for use at the governor's privilege. Is right, that, and, that, and that's true. And so that becomes, it, it probably goes back in the Department of Natural Resources general fund, and that goes into their into their general fund. And again, this, this again is this whole uh, trying to negotiate with, uh, um, with people who don't understand necessarily conservation. Our, our director in the state of Michigan, Dan Eichinger, who runs the DNR, is doing a, a fantastic job of trying to um, you know, balance both sides of people's interests. And he's really putting a, uh, as, as best as possible face on to make sure that we don't lose our, our freedoms as uh, hunters and conservationists well, here in the state. Todd, this leads to something interesting based on uh, any type of taxation taken from the government. You know, it's probably not practical to colonize this or, or, to, or to castle it up, as we used to say in corporate words, where you pay taxes and the money stays in that field. Um, but this is truly a tax is because you're paying money to do something, right? You'd believe yes. that. But when you look at the other side of this, now they're taking the money out of that and they're going to allocate somewhere else. Um, that, that's kind of where I have a problem with it. If you're going to taxes on that, that money needs to stay with the DNR or conservation like MUCC or whoever it may be. Instead of taking that money and running other programs, social programs, roads. Yeah, how do we know this isn't going for the governor's salary so her husband can put her boat in the water early? Yeah, I, that, that's that's the point I'm Oops, getting to. did I to. say that? Yeah, nice, nice. But, uh, I, I, would say, I would say if you reach out to, to MUCC, they have a policy team, they could specifically speak to that. And, that, and, I, and I would actually encourage you guys to reach out to MUCC and, and get one of their folks on the phone and actually talk about policy and what, what can we expect for 2021 for policy changes? We just also, you guys remember, we've got two NRC directors that are just coming off the board, um, Chris Tracy and Louise Clark. Um, thank them very much for their service to our state 
Uh, they're both coming off the board, and I believe Governor Whitmer will be appointing uh, two new people. But uh, Chris and, and Louise uh, were true advocates for uh, hunters' rights and sportsmen. And so we want to make sure, and I want the listeners to know, it's very important that we make sure that uh, our, our senators in the state know uh, what those appointees look like, and if there are if there are concerns that they call their senators, because we can't have people on the uh, National Resource Committee that are um, by any means uh, swayed to the left or anti-hunting. So keep you know make sure we we're, we're sharing that. But well, this, I would hope you guys. This is to me an ongoing battle, starting with the grayling. What they tried to do, kind of thank Trout's Unlimited for protecting our hunting land. Um, with no advantage to them, they were trying to protect their rivers, but that was based on the air base, the National Guard air base up there. And then we had another one flare up a couple of years ago in the UP that was lost, and we're going to lose some state forest up there to a, a mining company. So, which is part of resources is mining and foresting, obviously. But I, uh, I just think there's a continual grab, and I'm just going to say it: we don't get very political on this show at all. But I'm going to say it: politicians, in my mind, Todd have an insatiable need for more money, control, and power. And we need the MUCC and other conservation entities to really stand up to this because they will continue to take and take until we stand up and say no. So, yeah, And I agree 100%, and you're, and you're right, Kevin. And, and, uh, and the MUCC needs membership because they need to have that voice uh, in Lansing when they go in and, and uh, they mention to the, you know, the, the folks that are there that, hey, we're from MUCC. You know, that organization has been around 1937, the same year that Ducks Unlimited was founded. And uh, you have to think about those folks have been working tirelessly to make sure that conservation in this state has been preserved. Our, our hunting rights have been preserved as well. So, Good. Um, Good. yep. What yeah. about, let me ask a question. This pheasant stamp, to hunt yep. pheasant, it is required, correct? In the, it is. In yep. the, the last change was in the lower peninsula. But you, to find pheasant in the UP right, right, right. would be pretty um, difficult unless they've been released. Now, on the other side of it, there is a sharp grouse stamp that has, to this point, no charge. Correct. Yeah, and see, you understand, you, you've hunted with us and you know us, hunted with us a lot, Todd. But you understand what I'm going to. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before they say sharp tail. And we usually get two half days to hunt sharp tail because of the short season. And the distance you have to go to hunt it in Michigan. Um, are they going to throw a $25 fee on that? And what, see, I, I just don't see this as stopping, is my opinion. Well, as, as, funding, uh, as funding for the department becomes more and more difficult, um, I think you're going to see that the way that they feel that they need to, to uh, continue to support themselves is through additional licensing fees. And again, you, your listeners need to remember that, um, you know, when they have public forums for the natural resources commission meetings, you know, we as, as sportsmen and women need to be out there at those meetings voicing our concerns because what they do is they, they basically tee the ball up for the DNR and then the legislature, um, you know, that was one of the things that we thought was interesting is uh, we had a legislature, a legislator here in the state who was going to file a, a bill to prohibit uh, the DNR from prohibiting us uh, to do recreational and deer baiting. And so you know, what, what we're seeing is we're seeing an unprecedented amount of uh, uh, bickering going on about natural resources. And you're right. I think you're going to see continued power grabs. You're going to see deals done. 
um, you know, for for the sale of land, you're going to see private land. You're going to see public land that the state owns be sold to private folks. They're doing everything they can to try and uh, feed the coffers. And uh, unless they, you know, unless, you know, the, the one saving grace is we have the Michigan Natural Resources Trust Fund. Uh, they allocated about uh, $37 million this year for development and acquisitions. Uh, but that's just a drop in the bucket as to what needs to be taken care of. And I believe the um, on the November ballot, we all voted and that passed so that we can uh, continue to fund that uh, at a greater level. But that comes from the taxation on mineral rights. So all the mining that goes on in the UP, mm-hmm. all the oil and gas. So that's funded that way. Um, but again, if I can if I can bullet point this, you know, listeners need to, to consider joining Michigan United Conservation Clubs. They need to make sure that they're paying attention to who uh, the governor is appointing to the two NRC seats. Uh, they need to be uh, vocally opposed to anybody that is anti-gun or anti-hunting uh, going into those positions. Uh, and yes, um, it, it is a slippery slope. And I know you boys have both experienced that while hunting up north uh, on your family's property. Uh, and it's a very quick trip to the bottom uh, once you start on that slippery slippery slope. And I would hope that, um, you know, we're today, of all days, ought to be people being vigilant as to what's going on. And that the this, this, this stealing of, um, you know, our rights is, is happening right from underneath our nose. And it's time to stand up and, and, and be taken note of. Well, I think it's a politician's lack of understanding that it's not theirs. That is one of the key problems in our society today. And I go back to a former Michigan governor <clears throat> that came up with a brilliant idea of selling the governor's mansion on Mackinac Island thinking she'd make millions of dollars. And it just shows you that through the ages, there's more intelligence in the past than we acknowledge because the uh, trapping mogul that built that mansion and donated to the state put a provision in his agreement with the state of Michigan that you can only sell for the cost of what it was built for, which in the 1820s was $1,700. That's a true story, as you know, Todd, and we've talked about that before. But here's the problem I have. What... Did that governor, and I won't even name the person, Granholm, what would that governor, what in her mind would think that she has a right to sell something that belongs to the state? And I'm seeing more and more of this type of activity, and it seems like instead of a direct approach against hunting and state lands and federal lands, it's more of a side approach, which would make a nice segue into our next topic on ammunition. Because it seems like we're running into obstructions, and there's this fee, and there's this fee, and they change this, and they change this. I, you know, I'm not saying it's a conspiracy, but I, Todd, I do think there are people out there that are trying to change our way of life and our choices. And it, it's pretty. I'm not against the pheasant stamp. Um, there's only 2,500 people that pheasant hunted in Michigan last year. It said off of on public land. Um, I just, I just get a little concerned about the slippery slope, as you indicated. That's the yeah, same and, governor that brought wolves to the Upper Peninsula, right? Yeah, yeah. That Which went we can, well. Would, yeah, well, we can say now that. Uh, so, okay, so here you raise a good point, Matt. Uh, I just got to interject here, and I got to be careful. I don't want to out anybody I grew up with or was friends with, but there was a lot of hit by car wolf accidents after the fact. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> Go ahead. No, and, and you raise a very good point about, uh, and this is, you talk about funding. So every time that the Department of Natural Resources 
identifies a species, um, especially one that is threatened or endangered, they have to allocate funding, resources, biologist time to that. And so the great thing about, um, you know, when we have a successful reintroduction of a species, like whether it be a wolverine or, you know, a natural predator like uh, the puma or the mountain lion, they are adamant about not wanting to recognize that as a, as a, as a species in the state because it requires additional dollars that they don't have. Now they're going to be burdened again because of the delisting of the uh, gray wolf. And so you've got gray wolves now in all of the upper peninsula. You have them in the northern, northern lower peninsula. A lot of folks don't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least in the top uh, five, six counties in the northern um, lower peninsula, you have a pretty substantial wolf population. Um, and so you're going to continue to see the DNR struggle to, to manage that. And so it's I amazing. Those wolves that they come up with a toll across the bridge. I, d- I just didn't know they had any money. Well, that's why snakes don't exist in the UP. They fall through the slats in the bridge and they don't have pockets to pay the toll either. That's why there's no snakes well, in the UP. Well, it's, it's, it's... <laughs> Sorry, Todd. <laughs> It's one, you worked with me a long time. It's one of those days. You're just going to shake your head at me all day. Go ahead. Oh, it's the it's the wolves coming over in the in the sheep trailers that are coming down from the UP for the sheep that have been used up. There, there's my dig up the Upers. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, that was, that may have to be cut out. So let, let's segue into the, the the original topic we were going to talk about. That makes me nervous. Um, let, let's uh, go into uh, ammunition and ballistics and some of the shortages we're seeing. I, I'll probably turn a little bit of this over to the Matt because he knows more about this than I do. I, I'm kind of, as you both know, I kind of hunt whatever's in my pocket. Well, the big topic is right now you can't buy ammo online. Most stores in the area are sold out throughout Michigan. Um, I've called a few stores. I've had friends looking for ammo, be it 9mm, 40 Smith & Wesson, long gun ammo. Um, I, I have seen some shotgun shells on the shelf, but not like a year ago or even six months ago or even three months ago, but right. same with handguns and other guns. Obviously the election has had an effect. Maybe COVID has, uh, what's your thoughts, Todd? Well, Matt, all those things have played into the national shortage that we're seeing on ammunition, um, and when you look at it from a not only a national perspective but a local level, there are I don't care what gun store you go into if it was a small mom and pop or if it's a large retailer like uh, Meyer or uh, Walmart. I mean, well, of course, Walmart has gotten out of the ammunition business, but um, Dunham's is another one. What has happened is um, we have a, what I refer to as a perfect um, series of events. And you can have all these events happen independently, but when they all start to happen at the same time is when you wind up with truly uh, a shortage. And so what we're seeing, um, when you talk to, there's an article uh, that came out on guns and ammo, uh, and they interviewed uh, guys like uh, Jason Hornady, who is the vice president of Hornady, um, you know, back in October of 2019, prior to the election year, um, there were ample amounts of ammunition on the shelves. There were ample amount of firearms on the shelves. But then we started seeing that shift. And then we saw the COVID pandemic, um, you know, the Wuhan flu showed up. And then, of course, that made people fearful. And the minute you interject fear into any situation, look what happened with the toilet paper. Well, 
Right. That's great. Toilet toilet paper is still hard to come by. There are stores like Costco that are still limiting what you can acquire when you go in there. Uh, but that, that just threw gasoline on the fire. Um, and I'll say this, Hornady made it, they sold more ammunition this year in the first three quarters of 2020 than they sold in the last three years. Um, and then when you look at companies like Vista, Vista owns CCI, Federal, and Remington now. Uh, Vista was, they have over $1 billion with a B in back orders that they wow. can't fulfill. Um, take into account now. That, well, well that, some of that from my background and yours, Todd, is logistics because you're overselling the forecast and you're not producing to the new normal, right? So there's well, logistics yes. in that, and COVID has probably affected some of that logistic stream in manufacturing and transportation. But isn't part of it also Joe Biden's future taxation well, on I think that clips, to, ammo, and guns? Yeah, yes. I, I think that goes to what Todd just talked about, fear. People are afraid. Was well, that fear or is that being smart and just hoarding as much ammo as you can right now before these Soviet policies come into play that tax us for having freedom of arms? All, all the above, because what you're, what we're looking at is, you know, this you got to remember, this is the first time that we've seen this uh, happen in terms of a shortage. I want you guys to remember that first it was in 1994 with a Clinton gun ban. Right. Then it was what? Then it was Y2K. Then it came with Hurricane Katrina. Then we had September 11th, and then the election of uh, uh, Barack Obama, and then Sandy Hook. And, you know, those those events, and every time it has gotten worse and worse and worse. I mean, just this year alone, the National Instant Check System, they have verified that over uh, 23 million firearms uh, were purchased in 2020 alone. Eight million of those were brand new owners of firearms for the first time. Wow. And you think about great. this. Yeah, so you've got 8 million new people that that's have never like, owned a firearm. Like 3% of the population. No. Well, and so, and so well, you got 330 million. Yeah. Yep. So you have all these new gun owners, um, and you also have to remember, you've got the, the radical left who has woken up to the fact that hey, if we're going to go up against the, the conservative right, they also need to be armed. So they have been out purchasing. Um, and, and so, you know, case in point, um, people are out there and they're hoarding. And, and I'll quote, um, I'll quote what's what's uh, was was Scott Hornady's comment. He basically said he had a family, former family member, who asked if she could buy a pallet of five five six ammo. That's you know what goes with your modern yep. sporting rifles. AR fifteen. Okay, AR fifteen. And uh, and he asked her, "What are you going to do with a pallet?" She said, "Well, I'll, we need a pallet." Now, take in mind, a pallet is forty five hundred boxes of ammo. Which is ninety thousand rounds, and that's <laughs> good but, lord. I mean, well, in my view, about it, every individual and freedom fighter should have that in their safe right you now. You could have fought the battle me. of Gettysburg with that much ammo. <laughs> good lord. Well, your your brother is absolutely right because in 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 countries like Switzerland, every you every Switzerland citizen that's a male between whatever ages is required to Eight, to eighteen have, and twenty nine, yep, I think. Yep. Yep, they're supposed to have, uh, you know, they're supposed to have their firearm and their ammunition. So again, this is a this is a culmination of a, of many things. You've got COVID, you've got a camp, you've got an election year um, that came into it. But then here's the other part: with COVID, you had a lot of these international ports being shut down. So the material, the materials to get this. I mean, think about this: Daniel Defense 
which is down in the Carolinas, produces fantastic. Yeah, uh, one of the best AR-15s out there. Yep they they acquire all of their stainless steel barrels from France. They've already gone through all of their inventory allocation that they can. I mean, they have to place an order for stainless steel barrels one year prior to their manufacturing year, and France only has so much capacity to produce so much materials. Case in point, another another um, cottage uh, industry ammunition, ammunition manufacturer said he went from paying $16 for a thousand primers to paying $100 for a hundred primers yeah. so for a thousand primers. So uh, what we're seeing is we're seeing people, um, you know, we're seeing people basically at this point uh, continuing to hoard um, and, it, and it's going to, it's going to continue. It's not that they're not producing, but also remember this Remington Corp, which was uh, just came out of bankruptcy. They were sold off to seven different uh, principal investor groups. Vista uh, bought their ammunition factory. That ammunition factory has been running below capacity all year because of the bankruptcy. Now Vista owns them and they're going to rehire an additional 300 people that were furloughed, but they've got to get them, get that plant back up to running speed. So you've got Hornady, which is running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've only got so many presses that can make so much ammunition. Same thing goes for Black Hills. The same thing goes for, for Remington. Um, basically, there there is no more capacity built into the system to produce any more ammunition. There, oh. it just frankly, it's not there. Okay, that brings into another question. Um, what about reloading? Uh, we have probably listeners, I'm sure, that reload, and that's going. That went through my wife's mind actually. Hey, let's just start reloading. That'll you know, instead of buying ammo off the shelf, let's reload. Well, then we find out you can't buy primers. Right, so, and primers that is that is the Achilles heel in the industry. Yep. Um, so you also have to remember. Firearms manufacturers all have to proof test every gun before it leaves, whether that's Ruger, Smith & Wesson, Browning. All those guns have to be test fired before they go out into um, – and so those ammunition manufacturers have contracts with gun manufacturers to supply them with ammunition. So you got to already remember that that ammunition that's being made for that, you know, that's not all going to go to the to the consumer uh, goods uh, pot of ammunition. It's got to go to the manufacturing side. And then you've got the Department of Defense. Yeah, which is a, their big um, you, customer. So. Yep. But but I can also tell you that there have been no increases in Department of Defense uh, uh, requests for additional ammunition needs. Uh, so that we're not seeing, you know, people are saying, oh, there's a conspiracy that the government's buying up all the 5.56 five, and the 9s and the 40. Well, that's, that's absolutely not true. Uh, when you check with people uh, in the industry, um, They'll tell you that they've checked with their sources and there have been no additional, uh, you know, law enforcement business has been very consistent. It's not, it's, we're not seeing these huge spikes that we saw like during the Obama administration. Right. Well, so and as somebody who's in the military, I do know that the military does stockpile a lot of their ammo for mm-hmm. years and years. So they right. will probably never have a shortage unless we definitely go to a conventional war and then there will be an upswing <laughs> in demand. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay, so so, so reloading is not an option, and even for our topic, you know, upland hunting, you know, shotgun shells. What's the alternative? Looking for twenty twenty one, a lot of guys are going to be trap shooting, skeet shooting, target shooting. You know, what, what's what's the answer, Todd? Well, it, the, go ahead. I was going to say, so 
what what they're saying is they don't anticipate um, what they, what was said was that if everything stayed status quo, if if nothing changed within the current administrative, which we know that that is all in flux today, um, that we would see maybe getting out of this hole in the third quarter of 2021. Now, if things don't go um, so smoothly, then I would say that this ammunition shortage can conti- could continue uh, under the you know in years into the future. No idea for how long. So if reloading is, is a constraint because you can't get primers, um, you know, you can go to your shooting clubs and you can see if they have, you know, sometimes they're buying uh, ammunition in bulk uh, and those are going to be your target loads. Uh, and you can do that. One thing that uh, we recently incorporated into our home was uh, actually a, it's a program. It's a pro, it's a product called iTarget and iTarget is a, um, is a device that you load into your pistol or revolver. Is that a laser? It is. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And I've, I've used it. It works remarkably well. It allows you to dry fire your pistol at home or your rifle at home. Can you use it in it a works. shotgun? I have not seen that as far as available yet, but basically what, what you're going to see there is you know, what, what they're, what the niche that they're working on is they're, they're in the defensive, um, you know, they're trying to build muscle, memory they're trying to help people not go to the range and spend you know thousand thousand dollars for a family of four to go spend you know a day at the range which is what you burn through in ammo and, and range fees because right now frankly five five six ammo is going for a dollar 27 per round Holy when it usually is oh 30 what well, in here yeah, yeah that, i'm not joking so you typically would buy it at 33 to 35 cents per round um if you go to there are there are websites and I won't mention them because I'm not going to give them a shameless plug. Just the other day I was on one and they were they had a box of 22 long rifle ammunition. It was 36 grain hollow point. Either of you guys want to guess what they were asking for that box? They had it in stock, 100 rounds of 22. What do you think they were asking for on their website for that box of ammo? I don't know. Just tell us. <laughs> Ninety nine, ninety nine. Oh, for twenty two, long yep. rifle. Yep. Man, I need to. Uh, sell are you them. saying a hundred dollars? I'm saying a hundred dollars, oh and that God. was on that was on, and that is on a website that lots of people have gone to. Um, they they are notorious for being price gougers, but I will say this: if you go to Brownells or you go to, you know, Cabela's, you have to put out. You have to, you know, or even Midway USA, you've got to be on their on their list of contact me when it's available. And when it's available and you get that email, you best be getting on there right away. I mean, well, gotta remember. I, I got to say this, Todd. I kind of on top of our previous conversation with the pheasant stamp, I, I have a fear. And maybe it can happen or don't happen, but a lot of people don't supply, don't understand supply management. And there are bits and pieces that go into all of this ammo, correct? You got tips. You got, yes. I, I don't speak the language, but you know what I mean. So there's two ways I see this could get even worse and more problematic is they start legally restricting one of the items, which it's a really unknown story in World War II. The U.S. did that with rubber in China. They restricted one part of it and killed their rubber supply. I could see the far left. And we spent 10 episodes not being political, so you have to forgive us for this one episode in the covey here. But Yeah, even though like 99% of our yeah, I know, people listening... But, uh, I, <laughs> Uh, anyway, I can see them restricting the components that go into ammo um, in some legal manner. 
uh, be it through tariff and trade or whatever comes overseas or just the politicians restricting it. And I could see it, of course, taxation is their their go-to thing. And I, I think there's maybe changes coming. Do you agree with that? And do you, I mean, the, the government could restrict it in a different way than outlawing arms and ammo. There's a, other methodologies. Yes, and we saw that uh, back during the the Obama administration days, they were trying to uh, basically make uh, it illegal for any uh, any ammunition, um, brass, <clears throat> and components, bullets, that were to come out of the Lake City plant, they were all to be destroyed. They were not to be uh, sold off to be reloaded. And so, uh, and here's another point that most folks don't know, is the Lake City Ordnance Plant just recently, uh, Vista, which owns um, Federal, lost their contract uh, at the Lake City plant. They I mean they have been the producer, the contractor there for I would say up to sixty years. Winchester won that contract, so now you have the largest plant for military DoD ammunition manufacturing in the U.S. is now going through a transformational change from Federal uh, to uh, Winchester. So you've got all those play, all those people in management there are all going to be changing over. So there's going to be a disruption there. So the avail- availability to get uh, military Lake City plant ammunition is going to continue to be a constraint because they're going to have issues. Case in point, I know the distributor manufacturer rep uh, for Browning here in Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana, and he shared a story with me that uh, – you know, they're trying to keep their employees healthy, and so they're running split shifts. They're trying to fulfill the government orders, which sometimes, uh, you know, take 80% precedence of, of all that. So they produce all the small arms ammunition for our military. He said that his ability to get uh, 556 ammunition uh, had increased, uh, and I'll, I'll put it in very simple terms. He typically, just this year alone, and any this year alone, he sold 20, he has 20, $5 million in sales of just Winchester ammunition. Okay. In 2017, that was roughly about a million 300,000. He has back orders for $77 million in Winchester ammunition. Does that tell you the level of fear and, um, it's fear is it preparation? Yeah, it's, it's both. It's fear. Let's, let's talk about how will this trickle down, um, into, buying shotgun shells, lead, steel, and then let's talk about like tungsten and copper bismuth, like we've had Boss shot shells on here before. Will there be a supply shortage for those type of manufacturers? Other than yeah, high because, demand, I mean. Yeah, because they're going to be producing what is high demand items. They're not going to be producing their upland game loads. They're going to be producing, they're trying to produce the things that are most highly sought after right now. So with, with respect to your yeah, they have dedicated equipment that runs. And so a uh, case in point, like 3030 Winchester, that is not a, um, that's not a rifle caliber that everybody shoots anymore. Maybe back in the sixties and the fifties and the forties, that was what people shot. But even that ammunition is out of stock. And so what you're going to see is Vista and Remington and, and Hornady, they have, they have the dyes. They're going to produce your nines, your forties, your five, five, six, your, you know, your 12 gauge buckshot, because that's what the demand is for right now. So you're going to see continued um, limitations of upland bird shot available. So I would say to your listeners, be creative, you know, talk to 
to people that um, have like local auctions uh, and, and so that so that when people pass away, you know, my husband's ammunition collection and gun collection, it's a it's a it's a non-conventional way. But your big box retailers are not going to have um, you know, when they do get it, it's going to come in and it's going to be like the wind. It's going to be gone. So you have to be you have to be crafty in the way that you go out there and source your ammunition, specifically uh, your upland bird stuff. Um, and, you know, frankly, I'll go back again. If you can get a box of uh, Winchester AA Super Handicap and seven and a half, so that's a really good load for, for upland game. A little light for pheasants, but it's great on woodcock and sharpies and rough and um, quail. And so, you know, if you're going to be hunting pheasants, it's going to be more of a challenge. And, I, and you got to also remember, our last lead smelting plant was closed during the Obama administration, and we have no more lead smelting plants for new lead creation, everything is recycled. Um, and with the demand in batteries, so people are you know trying to do more green, all that, all those batteries and all that lead that's being reclaimed is all going into batteries. It's not going into ammunition. So we're gonna see hyperinflation issues with ammunition continuing to go forward. I mean, I kind of feel like the Grim Reaper here talking about ammunition and shortages, but you know, to a lot of listeners, we are in a we are in a precarious position about being able to you know, so, to go out and so our, our final advice about upland shot ammunition is kind of like certain entities run an election buy early, buy often. Yep. Okay. Yep. Because right. it doesn't go bad. It's it's not like bread. It's not like bread, and it's going to get moldy in two uh, weeks. Stuff you, off or, the bottom. Idiot. Of, stuff in the bottom of the river still shoots through my gun. I'm just saying. I'm sure it does. Twenty I'm years sure later. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Todd, for covering that topic. Uh, anything else you want to put out there for us? No, I just, again, I, I, I'll say this. Uh, I hope your members and listeners would listen to, you know, look at joining MUCC. Uh, check out that website, iTarget. Just, I have no, um, I get no. nothing from them. I've just, I use it. I enjoy it. It's a good system. And uh, I think, you know, folks need to be very resourceful in how they're trying to go out and secure that. Um, you know, your traditional online right. uh, sites are going to be, you know, they're going to have their volumes stripped away as fast as possible. I know I don't have to ask you this after 20, 25 years of being friends, but keep an eye on the pheasant stamp thing. We don't want that to leak over. Um, that's just a personal opinion, not for the show. But I just get a little concerned when we start heading the way we did on the previous topics. So, um, One other thing to say, we do have some out-of-state listeners, um, probably not familiar with the MUCC, but for their states, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin, um uh, Minnesota, um, what can they do um, as far as upland hunters? Is it pheasants forever, rough grass society? What, yep. do, you, what do you think? Okay. Yeah, I think I think it's important that they they put their money where you know the conservation work is being done. And so, you know, here in this state and other states, they have rough grass society and American Woodcock Association. You've got your um, you know your your pheasants forever, your ducks unlimited. These organizations are out there. They do they do good work. Um, they need to be funded to do their work. But and, I also uh, think that those societies that do good work for the majority do, but I think you need to be careful with the political links that they have too, one way or the other. Um, that kind of irritates me with some of these groups. Um, it, it's kind of like we all have to pay taxes. I want my money to go for infrastructure, for the military, for different good programs, but we all know that our tax money doesn't do that. Same with these societies and these groups. I want to make sure my money going forward is going for the right cause. 
Yep, and I think that, that through proper vetting, you can you can have those. I mean, again, it's be whatever you're passionate about. Be sure you're be sure you're checking where your money is going and um, doing a, doing your due diligence that way. And yes, not all of them, not all of them have a great track record. Most of them do. Um, but I'll say this: the other thing that those organizations do is they leverage your dollar. So for your $100 investment, they're going to go out there and they're going to leverage that at probably four to five times. And what they're doing is they're taking the tax dollars that you've already paid in and through um, the Pittman-Robertson Act, through the uh, you know, NACA funds and these other, other funds that are out there, they're using tax dollars that other people have paid to go and do conservation work. So that's really kind of a, a decent ROI. So for your $100 investment, you're getting a $500 match. Which wow, is actually okay. pretty good. That's one way to think about it. Thanks. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right, brother. Thanks for coming on again. We appreciate it. You're kind of our go-to guy on some of these topics of conservation organizations and ballistics, and appreciate it. And uh, we'll throw a log on the campfire here and continue on with our show. How's that? Well, thank you, gentlemen. You guys have a good evening and a good uh, good uh, good time. Uh, talk to you later. All, All right. right. Thanks, thanks Todd. Have a good one. Yeah. Bye. 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 We're in our second segment on episode 10. We'd like to bring Scott in. Uh, we, we can't say welcome to the Covey because, Scott, you were part of the Covey, boy, oh, boy, I hate to say it, 10 to 20 years ago. That was a <laughs> long time ago. You're aging better than I am, I think. But we, uh, we've, we kind of miss hunting with Scott. We invited him up this year, and he's always welcome. But we uh, have known him a long time, and uh, – the perfect place to start, and I think you'll get into what I'd like to hear from you about, is uh, your, your first grouse. I, I, you were a hunter from a different part of the country of a different species originally. Is that correct? It is correct. So I'm from New Orleans originally, and so we were mostly shooting ducks and a lot of fishing and occasional woodcock. So I moved to Michigan and met met some guys and kind of get in, got into grouse hunting. So yeah, it was all new for me. Yeah. You remember your first grouse? I remember the three years leading up to it that I missed. So, yeah. So, I think it took me three years before I got my first grouse. And then uh, my first grouse was north of Lewiston, uh, walking a river bottom and um, kind of come out come out into this open. And it was like the perfect shot, a bird sitting on a log drumming and sitting there with like a golden halo around it. And, you know, dead away, shot, you know, a shot dead away and... And that was my first grouse. It was nice, nice. Yeah, and I mean, all the the years prior to that missing, that was that was pretty special. Yeah, I got to ask you something. Do you remember most of the grouse you've shot? I, I you know, what's funny is I, I I do remember most of them, but the ones that I really remember the ones that were the easy misses. Those are the ones I really remember. Well, that's a weird thing to say, Scott, because I remember. Uh, Oh, Matt got one up in the UP on some private property. Remember who I'm talking about? The lady that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I took the first shot. Bird was sitting underneath some evergreen trees. And then he shot right after me and got the bird. And uh, went, nah, 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 yeah, nah. yeah, and he's he's like, I get it, I get it. He comes running over. And I had a clear view. And it was like 20 yards from me. I go, you got to look at this. Here's where the bird was. Here's where I shot. It was four <laughs> feet left of the bird. <laughs> All through the dust and everything. He's like. Wow, you missed by four feet from like fifteen feet. That's that's epic, Kevin. <laughs> that's epic. I tripped. Yeah, I tripped. <laughs> yeah, I tripped. I actually I was standing still, so I couldn't even use that. But I oops, I'm sorry. I do remember uh, a lot of the missed ones. But as Matt and I go around and the guys we hunt with, including you and the Bass, we'll go by a corner or somewhere in the vehicle, and I'll go. 
I got a bird back there. Yeah. So yep, it comes, it comes back. Remember the yeah. spots. Yep. Yeah. And I'm sure your uh, dog that we used to hunt with, which was a lab and a very, yeah. well, I thought it was a Vissela. What was that? No, he looked, he looked like a, he was a red pointy lab, but he did look, he did look like a Vissela. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that was a great dog. And I'm sure that dog's long gone, right? He, you know, it's funny. He just passed away uh, in March, so he was 14. Wow, wow! And hunted, he hunted up till, I mean, really strong up to 13, and then uh, retired him last year. But yeah, he had a, he had a, he had a really good run. And at the end there, he was deaf. He couldn't hear anything. But man, the dog, he was. He had, he had a he nose. Solid. Didn't he? he was. He yes, was a he sol- did. He had a, even at a young age, that was a solid. Yeah, because I think we hunted with him when he was just two. So he, was, he was young. young. He yeah. was probably young. Two or three. Yeah, he was. So do you he have was a, do you have a dog now? I do, I do. I uh, totally something outside the box. I bought a Boykin Spaniel. Okay, you have to explain to the night. Yeah, year. so it's uh, it's super popular down south. They're uh, they're out of the state of Cali- uh, South Carolina. It's, it's a state dog in South Carolina. It's, it is basically the crossbreed of a cocker spaniel, a water spaniel, and a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. That's what basically formed the Boykin Spaniel. So, thirty-eight pound, uh, great water dog, upland hunting dog, and uh, yeah. So far this year, I've I've probably been out with him thirty days this year, and he's been awesome. Yeah, really awesome. More, so, is he a retriever, pointer? Both. He's a he's a flusher retriever. Yeah, flusher retriever. Okay, cool. Yep. Cool. Cool. Nice. Yeah. So I saw on Facebook that uh, you had a bunch of pheasants there. Where'd you get those? South Dakota. So we got a a buddy of ours got small piece of property he's got like eight thousand acres just north of frankfurt that uh we go out every year and he puts us up and we we try to help him manage his uh, pheasant population nice kevin and i are actually i have a week of vacation and a week and a half we're talking about actually uh if the weather works we're gonna go out there and do a podcast out there and do some hunting so much fun we've been doing we've been going out there for 20 years and i mean it's just I imagine that's the way it used to be everywhere, but it's it's still one of the few places left that it's like the Wild West. It's still lots of birds and a lot of fun. Well, awesome. should, if we go out there, you should jump a flight and come out and meet us out there. Uh, I will, man. I will never have to twist my arm to go to South Dakota. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you know the dates as we get closer. We're, we're not planning anything hard until we get the yeah, dates. Yeah, you know the weather out there can be crazy. We have a contact through the podcast that has a place out there, so we're, uh, we're considering it. But the thing is, I've traveled immensely out there. You know, the Dakotas, it could be our weather we're having today, you know, 30. It could be 30 below. <laughs> so, and I'm not hunting in 30 below. That's just Listen, me. We, we go the first week in December every year for the last 20 years. And, and this year was, it was the most pleasant hunt I've ever been in my entire life. It was 35 degrees and sunny every day. And it's been, I've been minus 14 and blowing 30 and, and still still hunted every day but it's just brutal man you're hardcore scotty i when it goes you gotta get them it's below zero i just look at it and i go you know the hotel looks pretty good to me (laughs) the lodge we 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 go man we go i know you do you always have so so what kind of gun are you hunting with and what did you start with or is it the same uh so what did i start i think like everybody man i think an 870 pump was my first shotgun and then um a Remington 1187 was my next gun, and then a, a Synergy over and under 20, and then now I'm shooting nice. a Benelli Legacy uh, 20 because I just want more shells. Right. <laughs> is that? Is, I don't know my guns as well as I should. Is that a semi-auto? 
Yeah, well, uh, yeah, the, the last one. I'm going to shock you this. We haven't hunted in a long time. I've gone semi-auto, too. and nobody. I mean, will. sometimes that third that third shell just makes a difference. Well, I'm half blind, and I smell, and, you know, I just need – I'm a terrible shot, as you know. So well, I just Early season. <laughs> early season when they, when, they, when they go up, uh, you know, one after the other one, sometimes that third shot makes a difference. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, you've made a transition on guns, too, like I have, and – Brother's shooting a 12 still, right? Yeah, I still over got an over-under under CZ Uplander. It's my favorite gun so far. Yeah, yeah, you kind of, I'm, I just like carrying a 20. It's just light. Yeah. These new these new guns, are, they just don't weigh anything anymore. They're awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I went to a Browning BPS pump, well, last year, I guess. Uh, yeah, last year I bought a Browning, something I always wanted, even though it's not an old one, it's a new one. I brought a, a Browning Sweet 16. And, uh. That that's a whole different game with that gun, you know. Having the semi-auto instead of two shells, like I've done my whole life. Absolutely, yeah, yeah that's a nice gun. So, how was the birds this year? Did you have a good year? We we have a rule here that we don't give away spots, even though you know a lot of ours. But um, good year. I only know one. I only know one. That's not a good spot anymore <laughs> since you cleared it out. Yeah, you clear. Yeah, we're blaming you. <laughs> Listen, I would be happy to tell you guys personally that the other side of the lake where it's also very, very good. Yeah, we've been there before. Yeah, yeah, we've covered uh, that whole area. And the, the, actually, there were some birds there this year. Some. There wasn't a great many, but. What if I told you I shot four quail there? Uh, does not surprise me. You know, quail's illegal in Michigan, right? Um, I did not shoot four quail. I'm there. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> actually, you're the second person because one of the guys we hunt with. Um, I, I it was two or three years ago, and I, I was a little lame from a surgery that year on my leg. But I uh, I told him I said just walk down back towards where we park, which you know where I mean, Scott. And yeah, we were at way out west, and uh, I said I'll follow you. Well, I follow. I waited like two minutes and started slowly going along the trail, and I heard boom, 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 boom. And I was like, oh, he got something. I came up, same thing you had, and it's like, oh, I won't mention his name because I don't want to get him in trouble. It's like. Great shot. You know, he he dropped three, I think. And it was like, here's the problem. He goes, well, I thought they were grouse when they went up, you know, which you naturally think. Maybe somebody who's hunting dove more like yourself maybe would know. I don't know. But it was like, yeah, there's dove coming back in there. It's really weird. So Quail. I'm sorry. Quail. But, so what else going on? I, I mean, do you have a good year? A lot of birds uh, that you saw or? Yes, yeah, so we did. So I, I got a group, we, anywhere between four and six guys that we normally go. And uh, I think we shot close to 50 grouse this year. Nice. nice. Yeah, so, yeah, so it was a really good year. Not to uh, give your location away, but was that all in the lower peninsula, or did you guys go up in the upper peninsula? No, all lower. So we are anywhere from the southernmost point of Lewiston to as far north of Atlanta, and then Grayling, and as far down as, you know, the other spot where you guys are, right, kind of, right. we, we work both sides of 75 and kind of, you know, at the 50 miles all the way square. over to 131 and oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. 33, 33 is basically as far um, east as we go. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good target. We call that North central on the show and that that's a pretty good area. We've had some ups and downs there, but yeah, it feels like, it feels like it's, from what I'm seeing, things are kind of improving from the last couple of years. Excellent. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but I don't know why. I mean, I can't figure it out as far as food. Cause you look, I have not seen bear. I didn't see a lot of berries this year. I mean, acorns, they're eating a lot of acorns and green, but I did not see a lot of uh, like winterberry or any, anything like that. We, we didn't either. We didn't see as many berries uh, of the different varieties, but 
uh, the day after Matt left our big camp, we walked into a berry patch we know, and there was a lot of birds in there. And, yeah, and yeah. It, it was they, you know obviously they were taking all the berries they could. Well, good. I, Did you uh, hunt any gems areas? Uh, you know I don't because I just feel like they get they just get they get killed. Yeah. What about the uh, was it called the Hap program? The yes. private land areas. Yeah, that, that's oh. mostly for sharp tail. Mostly. Yeah. Well, the right. only th- just state land. That's it. We you know we don't do anything. Just all state land. All right. Do you, I don't think I've hunted on private property in Michigan ever. Really? Huh. No. How about um, use a Garmin Astro or anything like that on your dog or a beeper? Uh, no, I do not. I wore he. Um, just a bell or nothing? Or? No, nothing. He he just a close working dog. Right now he's actually in South Carolina at Upland National, so he he's fairly well trained. Nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he so long story short is I bought him at two years old, so he was already trained. He uh, he came in fourth at nationals intermediate last year, and then they were going to breed him. Kevin, as you know, you know they had a two year hip check on him, and one of the doctors said that his hips didn't look perfect. So we sent his x-rays over to one of you, you know, Degner or one of our, one of our local guys here. And he uh. said, yeah, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that dog. So I ended up getting him and he was completely fully trained and already competing. So as far as a bell or anything like that, I use a whistle and hand commands. Okay. That's, that's kind of what I do too with a, I have yeah. a, I still have a little while and I think it's the third one since I hunted with you last time, which was several years ago. Yeah. So. What kind of dog did you have back then? I was trying to remember. That was an English setter. His name yeah. was Jake. And then yeah, yeah, I went that. to the Low Island lineage of the English setter. Um, and then this is my second Low Island uh, that I have, who is Maggie. Um, what, she's three, a uh, four now. Four. four. Yeah. So she's like your dog. I don't have a beeper, a bell. I don't do any tracking because she hunts close by. Uh, where Jake, the dog who hunted in that good party we had several years ago he he would see a deer you wouldn't see him for about an hour yeah so and i ended up putting a collar on him and i just got sick of it but he was he hunted to up to the very end and fortunately he died at 12 so yeah sometimes the deer like you know that's just part of it sometimes they do run off and they you know it happens right have you done any pheasant hunting recently well i was just in south dakota uh first week in december and I had not shot a pheasant in Michigan in probably uh, maybe 10 years. Well, the, a wild pheasant. One of the things we had Todd on for was um, talking about pheasant. They're putting a $25 pheasant stamp on in lower Michigan. And I was wondering if you'd <clears throat> become aware of that. Um, not a huge issue. It's just the well. What are they doing with the money? As long as they're they're doing some of the money to help the pheasant population. Well, all yeah, you, you'll have to listen to the podcast. Listen, listen to the okay. listen well, to this it. number ten podcast. All right. We went into that because what of, they were they'll rich. make you angry if, unless you really yeah. like our dictator queen governor. But yeah, otherwise you'll be it, angry. It, it's what they originally said they were going to use the money for. They're not, and that's of course that's yeah. what. What what our scare is because you know we sharp tail grouse hunt. Um, we grew up in the, that area of Michigan, yeah. and the stamp for that is free. I just don't want to see a precedent where we're paying twenty five bucks for sharp tail stamp, rough tail, you know, rough duck. You know, pretty soon you're going to get into this thing every year for four hundred dollars just to hunt, and that's kind of ridiculous. But and they're losing so many hunters now. That's what they need to do is to make it make it harder to get into, right? Right. They should make it more accessible for every income level. 
So. Yeah, well, the, the, the beauty of grouse hunting has always been, you know, even growing up, it was $5 for a tag growing up, and you're good all year. That's all you needed. That, what was that, 1920 what? 1907-something, <laughs> but maybe six. Um, great year, Kevin. Those are great years. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, you don't remember any of that, my friend. <laughs> um, so when I, when I look at it and I look now – you can still grouse hunt with an old gun and some pair of boots by yourself or with a friend with a cheap gun, and it's a $14 tag to just grouse Absolutely. hunt. Yep. What, what I'm worried about is the politicians are going to start stacking things up, and I don't want to make this whole episode, and they start stacking it up. because And this is a good question for you with as much time you spend in the field. Do you see, outside of your group, do you see a lot of young people hunting? So, you know, that, that is a great question for me right now because I have three young guys now that are in our group that um, basically never hunted before. So one of the kids played football at Michigan Tech, and he always loved the outdoors. But, you know, when you're committed to a, you know, a program like that, he had no time to hunt. So he is now part of our group, and he is absolutely a diehard psychopath, will hunt anything. But he's just gone crazy. And then my son is also – really gotten into grouse hunting and he's 20 and then we got another kid that's about 26 so oh good for yeah, you guys we, we found three three young guys that are just as nuts as we are over it so it's it's kind of fun yeah see our party doesn't have anybody under 50 now i guess but uh, my son's about to turn eight, eight so, so he's, he's got a couple of years to wait so outside of your party do you see other young people because i think this is a major ever. issue with i i don't ever, ever see young people no, get your daughter involved <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I can't. Would... I, I can't even remember the last time I saw a father son, you know, unless it's a you know seventy fifty uh, age. But right. I'm not seeing a, a young. Yeah, a young kid that kind of scares me with some of the political uh, political things we've already talked about. But I I think you got your party's doing a tremendous job getting young people in. We're doing a terrible job. We don't have any young people. I mean, uh, Matt's probably the, yeah. Well, we tried to get Doctor Tom's two sons who are grown, but, yeah, but uh, they couldn't make 30s. it through the scheduling. Yeah. But I I just I have this thing. I just do not see young people out grouse hunting. Now we did see two young people in a little car. Um, you and I did last year and they were like college age and they were doing it the old style Scott you know with the <laughs> single single shot gun and yeah and we even told them it's cool that you guys are doing it you know gave them a couple pointers and let them good go. luck that's the only ones I've seen in a decade I, I was up at the gyms area closest to where we're currently located and uh that was uh opening day and I saw two carloads of like four guys, you know, younger guys. Yeah, they were like 16, 17, 18 years old. Wow. And they were out hunting on the gyms area. Yeah. I, I don't know what we can do as a group to uh, get well. The, the, you don't have the instant gratification in grouse hunting that a lot of young people are looking for. That's so true. I don't know that you're going to be able to fix it, honestly. No, well, it's, it's not a thing I want to uh, joust at, you know. Yeah, I know. But. Good. What what else has been going on with the hunting? You you've had a good year, and you're uh, doing yeah. Really? We uh, everything is yeah. Everything is everything has been going. We're trying to buy a cabin. So I was listening to your podcast. Whatever last one you told me you're about you, you know you're buying a cabin up north, and and so Scott us thinking, and now I'm 52, and this is what we're doing. So just I just got back literally a half hour ago from uh, from looking at a piece of property. We made an offer, so if we get it, then. That's gonna be super exciting for next year. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, your own bird camp yeah. up there. Yeah. I think yeah. I think our whole bird camp's waiting for me to 
move north and retire in a year or two and and then we'll relocate i'm sure to where i end up but now is this cabin that uh you're looking at is on the lower peninsula yeah so i mean it's it's basically in that dead center of that area that i just described oh, okay. so you know, north of Mayo, kind of a, up in that area yeah, yeah. we and kevin and it's I not really a cabin it's a house oh. it's actually a house but it's you know it's only on four acres but directly across the street is thousands of acres of state land. So I, we, oh, we know nice. exactly where you're talking about. Um, yeah. yeah. Love it. Love, that's nice. That's nice. Well, the I, guy, I'm waiting for him to accept the offer today. So if that, ha- that happens, we'll, we'll be super excited. You know what's going to happen is next fall we're going to drop in and throw shotgun shells on your porch. That's what we're going to do. So. <laughs> you guys are going to spend the night and we'll go hunting. There, there you, you go. It's been a while, brother. Yeah. Well, good. We kind of covered the dog and everything. Anything else you want to impart and tell the listeners? Um, no, I heard you guys talking about diseases and stuff like that. I personally have not seen anything in any bird that we've cut open. I've not seen anything wrong. Uh, have you talked to many people that have? No, um, we didn't see any this year or last year, probably been at least five years. I saw some flatworms in a bird. Of course we didn't eat that bird. Um, um, intestinal parasite, but I have not seen any, I haven't seen any we, we had a really good session on one of our episodes with Al Stewart from the DNR, and he, he kind of went over a lot of that. And uh, I think that was episode two or three. Man. Yeah, I don't remember. But um, I haven't seen any disease indications at all. And, yeah. uh, he, you know, go back and listen to that one, and he'll give you a lot of clues on that and what to look for. But, um, no, nothing like that. So, uh, and not... And what was ironic this year, Scott, and you know, you can throw your opinion in here, is we went up opening day, we went up for a week, went up two other times for just like one night. Um, we saw a lot of hunters this year, a lot of people hunting. And, yeah, and so did we. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's good and bad, you know, from your personal opinion. You know, you don't want to see too many people, but it's kind of nice. House staters, too, which, uh, right. I mean, we, we, we ran into groups yeah. from, like, south, like, uh, like southern states, too, which Oh, is, really? I'm not, yeah, there was a group from South South Carolina. We saw some Texas people, and I'm like, but, you know, I'm like, oh, man, what, this is a long way. Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys doing here? <laughs> yeah, we saw people from mostly Ohio, Indiana. Pennsylvania. But, you know, and then you get your crowd from... Southern Michigan areas, which that's all cool. That's me. Yeah. yeah. Well, us too. Us too. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad you came on. You got anything else you want to chat about? No, I'm glad. I like what you guys are doing. I've actually learned a lot of, you know, trying to be uh, better in the field about picking up my garbage and doing the right stuff. So keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens next year. We'll, get, well for sure, we'll all get together and we'll do it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. We'll have to hook back up and let's do a future episode where we bring the two younger guys on with you. And uh, okay, let's do a big conversation because uh, we need to start drawing younger people into this sport more. Oh, I love that idea, man. That's a great idea. And 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 if you have these young guys promote, you know, this type of podcast and stuff, they probably reach a totally different audience. Yeah. Than what you guys are reaching right now, so I think it's a good idea. Yeah, you don't even want to see our analytics on age and. I don't have to. (laughs) You know what it is. Yeah. I I get a few emails, nothing bad against these guys that email me like, what's a podcast and how do I listen to it? (laughs) That's me right there. (laughs) I didn't know. But well, thanks for coming on. My cricket phone. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on, brother. It's been a long time. We're going to have to get back out in the field this fall. And, uh, 
I'll let you know about when we're go- we're heading out if we're heading out too. And um, absolutely, if you want to jump out there some way, <clears throat> if you know what I mean, and that'd be great. But we're uh, our plan right now is to go out the southern route and then come back through the UP because there's some property I want to look at. But um, that's all up in the air with the weather. But we'll keep you informed for sure, man. And I, I can't wait to see you and Lizzie again soon. So it's been I a long appreciate time. it, guys. And uh, have a good winter. And then, you know, we'll see you. We'll catch up with you in the fall. There all you right. go. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show, Scott. Have a good one. See you now. All right. See you guys. See you. Thank you for listening to the Bird Camp podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of us, feel free to contact us directly at www.birdcamp.net. On that website, we're also selling merchandise including bird camp hats, bird camp shirts, bird camp gun cleaning cloths, and bird camp koozies. If you'd like to email us directly, our email is mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. On social media, look for us on Facebook by just searching Bird Camp. We do thank you for listening to Bird Camp Podcasts. We'll see you on our next episode. See ya!